Disturbing the Empires. We are traveling through uh, the Acts, and we're, we're going we're to go to Thessalonica today. I would say most of us have never been to Thessalonica. But what I, as I traveled there before, just by reading, I didn't actually travel there and check it out before now, but as I, as I was just contemplating uh, what, you know, what Paul is up to, he's going he's gonna to go into a town he's never been there before. He's on a different continent. He's in Europe. And he's going to go to a synagogue. And in that, in that synagogue, they're going to let him teach for several weeks. And he's going to teach um, mainly from the Torah, because that's primarily what was taught. And he's going, to, he's going to try to convince these Jews in Europe that Jesus is the Messiah. And he's going to kind of convince them. And I, w- I'm just really, I was just really curious. How did they know he was a rabbi? How would they know that? I didn't do rabbis. I don't know if they carry cards. I'm a rabbi. I don't know. I, was, I don't know. I mean, did he have? I mean, did he have a different color scarf? I don't know. How did they know he was a rabbi? So how would they like give him the opportunity to teach for several weeks in their synagogue? And then I wonder. Remember, with Jesus went into the synagogue and they handed him the scroll and he unrolled it and he read out of Luke. Did I mean did? Did Paul get to, like, did he get to pick his passages? I don't know. I don't know how any of that works. But aren't you, it's, I'm just curious. So I didn't find all the answers to my questions, but I found a few things. One, I found out where Thessalonica is. So there's a map of where Paul was on the Greek peninsula. And then there's a, here's a modern-day picture of Thessalonica, which is, it's a beautiful seaport. It looks kind of fun. Wish we could be there. And then I discovered some things about rabbis. So I'm just going to share a few things about rabbis. And then we're going to read the passage and discover some things that he did and then discover some things that I think we can do based upon the journey through Acts. The term rabbi had not yet come to exclusively mean a teacher ordained through formal rabbinic institution. That is in the first century. So the century that we're with Paul Rather, rabbi was simply a term of respect for a great teacher. Jesus was a rabbi. People had respect for him as a great teacher. Paul did have some rabbinic training, but probably the emphasis is he's a great teacher. A rabbi of the first century was, was not like a clergyman or an ordained minister of today. The rabbis of the first century were not on a payroll of a synagogue or a denomination. Instead, they typically practiced a trade, to support their own teaching ministries. So, for example, Rabban Gamaliel advised the students to combine their, their, their study and teaching of the Torah with a worldly occupation, a vote to two. His most famous student, Rav Saul, that would be Saul, Habin Yamin, better known as Paul, chose to be a tent maker rather than to accept donations for, from his students. So it's very common for rabbis in the first century to be bivocational. They were also itinerant. So from the Talmud, it seems evident that in most cases, a first century rabbi taught out of a local synagogue, which was often referred to as the Beit Midrash, that is the house of study. Students who sought to learn under a teacher traveled great distances And if accepted as a disciple, they dedicated themselves to live with and study under the teacher. Who does that sound like? On the other hand, many sages of the first century Judaism seem to be itinerant, traveling from town to town, synagogue to synagogue, teaching Torah 
and raising up disciples. That's what, that's what Paul is doing in this journey. Since Moses and Joshua, you have this relationship. The, the job of the rabbi in early Judaism was to transmit Torah or teaching to the next generation. Pekai Avot, which means it's, uh, it's kind of like the values of the father, the ethical teachings. Begin with these words. Moses received the Torah from Sinai, transmitted it to Joshua, his disciple, Joshua to the elders, the elders to the prophets, the prophets to the men of the great assembly, Ezra's generation. The teacher-disciple pattern of transmitting the Torah and the knowledge of God was established as early as Moses and Joshua. The teachers of each generation were entrusted with the task of raising up disciples and future teachers for the next generation. Generation after generation, from teacher to student, the teaching of Torah... Torah, by the way, is the first five books of the Bible. It's the law. Uh, Was passed on. A rabbi of the first century Judaism was a teacher dedicated to teaching the Torah of God, the law of God. His purpose in life was to explain the Torah in practical terms and to communicate the knowledge of God to the next generation. The job description, again, the ethics of the father... The men of the greatest simply said three things. Be deliberate in judgment, raise up many disciples, and make a fence for the Torah. That was the job description of the first century rabbi. So be deliberate in judgment. A rabbi's job was to be careful when rendering a legal decision or when interpreting a passage of scripture. He was to carefully weigh all the evidence. When asked a question regarding scripture, when making a legal ruling, when hearing a court case as an elder, as a judge in a court of law, or even when simply making a small observance, a ruling such as it's permissible, it's not permissible to heal on the Sabbath, the rabbi was to be careful and deliberate. The, the rabbi was to take the scriptures seriously, study them diligently, be deliberate in judgment. What, all that is saying is Paul was this guy. So when Paul gets an invitation to teach in a synagogue, he's going to take the Bible seriously. He takes the scripture seriously. He takes the Old Testament seriously. He takes the Torah seriously. He studies them diligently. And then he's going to give it, he's going to give it a termination. He's going to give a judgment, an interpretation. He's to raise up many disciples. That's exactly what Paul's doing. That's why he's traveling with others. A rabbi's job was to raise up many students. He was to pass the teaching on to many students. If he did not, there would be no continuity from generation to generation. Without disciples, the study of Torah and the knowledge of righteousness would vanish within a generation, and the next generation would fall into apostasy. The rabbi's job was to raise up disciples, who would in turn become the teachers raising up disciples, so that the Torah would not be lost. And then finally, make a fence for the Torah. A rabbi's job was to protect the Torah, the law. He was to make a fence around the Torah in order to protect the commandments. For example, to protect the commandment forbidding adultery, the sages made a fence around that commandment by teaching their disciples a tradition that they should not ever be alone with a woman that is not their wife, so that there would never be a possibility of transgressing that commandment. Obviously, putting a fence around the law got out of hand in lots of different ways. So much so that Jesus said, you're you're not even keeping the law anymore. You're you're keeping the tradition of the elders, but you're not really keeping the law anymore. 
because you put these fences around it. You know, it's admirable to want to be obedient. That's great, but you can, you can take that to an extreme. These practical, practical rules for life are to assist God, the people of God, in living out God's word. The rabbi's job was to protect even the least of the commandments and protect even the smallest jot and tittle of the Torah from being abolished. So just use that as kind of a backdrop for this. This is now Paul, as a rabbi, is going to a synagogue. He's never met these people before. He's going to be deliberate in judgment. He's striving to raise up disciples, and he's going to make a fence around the Torah. He understands that. He wants people to be obedient to the law of God. And so you kind of might want to think, well, gosh, I wonder what he would emphasize. That's where we're going. So Acts 17, 1 through 7. They took the road south to, through Ampipolis and Apollonia to Thessalonica, where there was a community of Jews. Paul went to their meeting place, as he usually did when he came to a town. And for three Sabbaths running, he preached to them from the scriptures. He opened up the texts so they understood what they'd been reading all their lives, that the Messiah absolutely had to be put to death that the, the Messiah absolutely had to be raised from the dead, and that there was no other option, and that this Jesus I'm introducing to you is that Messiah. Some of those Jews in that synagogue were won over, became disciples, and joined ranks with Paul and Silas. And among them, were, there were a great many God-fearing Greeks. God-fearing Greeks could come to the synagogue, and they too were won over. They became disciples of this rabbi, Paul, and a considerable number of women from the aristocracy. But there were some hardline Jews as well, and they became furious over the, conversa- over the conversions. The pe- and that conversion, what that conversion, these people are changing their mind. There's nothing in here about changing a religion. They're changing their mind about the death and the resurrection and who Messiah is. So they're mad with jealousy. They rounded up a bunch of brawlers off the streets and soon had an ugly mob terrorizing the city as they hunted down Paul and Silas. They broke into Jace's home, thinking that Paul and Silas were there. When they couldn't find them, they collared Jace and his friends instead and dragged them before the city fathers, yelling, yelling hysterically. These people are out to destroy the world. And now they've shown up on our doorstep, attacking everything we hold dear. And Jesus is hiding them, these traitors, these turncoats who say, Jesus is king and Caesar is nothing. Now hold on to those verses. Let me just remind you of some things that are going on. Okay, number one. Paul is that rabbi. He's a first century rabbi. He shows up at the synagogue in Thessalonica. Somehow they know he's the real deal, so he gets, to, he gets to teach. Three Sundays. So what is he going to teach? I mean, the Old Testament, even the Torah, five books. What are you going to teach? Well, he's going to teach the thing that's the most important thing for him to teach as a rabbi. And the thing that he teaches is three things. One, one. This Messiah that we talk about, 
this promised king. We keep going back to the prophets. He's talking to this Jewish community. We keep reading the prophets. We keep hoping for a coming king. Well, I'm here to convince you that that coming king absolutely had to be put to death. That that king was not just going to show up and we were going to go into the golden age. That's, that's That's not it. He had to show up and he absolutely had to be put to death. But he didn't stay dead. Absolutely, that Messiah had to be raised from the dead. And that resurrection from the dead, again, is not at this hinge of history between the age that we call this present age and the age to come. It's not a future, it's a, it's a resurrection that happened in a premature way. Absolutely, had to be raised from the dead. And the last thing was, i, I got to tell you, Paul would say to the Jews, this, this one Jesus, he is absolutely that Messiah. That's the most important thing that Paul could teach the synagogue of Jews in Thessalonica. The Messiah must die. The Messiah must be raised from the dead. And Jesus is that Messiah. He's introducing people. I love how this this Jesus I'm introducing you to. I'm introducing you to Jesus. I love how that, that, just that phrase. It's an introduction. I'm not beating you up. I'm not giving you a track. I'm not backing you into a corner. I'm, not, I'm just introducing to you who the Messiah is. There's something very relational about that phrase. I'm introducing you to, to Messiah. The reason the death of Messiah is a big deal, I think it's two reasons. Number one, there must be atonement for sin. There, there, there is a, there is a, I mean, there is a, we live in it, we're guilty. What are we guilty of? The primary thing we're guilty of is rebellion against our God. It starts, it starts with Adam and Eve. It's a rebellion. God says, don't eat. We say, we're going to eat. God says, that's harmful. We, harmful. we say, oh, I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. And you can go down this whole long list of all the different sins that we want to say are sins, but really the bottom line is we're rebels. We're rebels. We want to rule our own little world and our own little kingdom rather than to submit to the rule of God, which leads us to life at its best. So Jesus provided. He provided. His blood was shed for our sin. That, that absolutely had to happen. The, the, the blood of goats and sheep, the animal sacrifice, that, that, that provided a covering for a time, but that didn't, that didn't deal with our sin. Only Messiah. That, that dealt with it. And it was really important, I think, for you and I to understand the depth of our rebellion, the depth of our depravity. For me, depravity isn't about the gross things we do. It starts with rebellion. See, it was one thing for Adam and Eve to say, I hear your command, I hear your law, but we're going to break it. It's another thing for the generation that Jesus appeared to, which really represents us, to look God in the face and say, we don't want you. We reject you. I mean, that speaks volumes to me about our 
condition (laughs) that we can look God in the face. When God is doing like awesome things, healing, delivering, providing, calming storms, we can look God in the face and say, no, you know, looks like you got the world in control, but we don't, you know, we'd rather not relinquish our control. I mean, that says to me, wow, we are really rebels. So that's why it was important. Messiah had to die. But that's not where Messiah stayed because he was raised from the dead. So that sacrifice of, for our sins, I mean, that was acceptable to God. But Jesus' resurrection, God said, you're right, yeah. The sin, I've dealt with the sin of humanity through the death of Messiah, through the shedding of his blood. And not only that, but now my rule, the kingdom is arriving because of the resurrection. It's something of the future beginning now through the resurrection of Jesus. That's why Messiah had to be raised from the dead. It's a new day. Something new has begun on planet Earth. And it's Jesus that's the Messiah. The announcement of Jesus by Paul in a synagogue in Thessalonica disturbed the Roman Empire because it challenged the sole allegiance of the people of the Roman Empire to the rule of Lord Caesar. Did you hear when people got upset it wasn't, they were not upset because Paul was teaching about righteousness. They weren't upset because Paul would, would say, this is right, this is wrong. They got upset because Paul said, Jesus is where your ultimate allegiance should be. And then could, can you believe those that oppose that message? That these guys, they're, they're destroying our world. What? I think it's quite the opposite. The one that would restore our world has shown up, not the one that destroys the world. But again, we're so blind. We're so blind. We think we can fix it, and we can't. And only Jesus can. So for our community, as I kind of walk out of Thessalonica back into New Braunfels, from a synagogue into a local church, I think there's some things here for us that we can really learn. Number one, our minds, and and our minds, that goes beyond our thought. I mean, I'm using our minds as everything that we are, that God has created on the interior. So from thought, intellect, to emotion, to will, we have got to remain open to discovering the truth of God's revelation through the Bible. Did you notice that Paul, when he taught from places that were very familiar to the Jews in the synagogue of Thessalonica, they had never understood what he taught. An illustration of that would when, when Jesus talked to the religious scholars and he said, you, you read the scriptures diligently. I mean, they, they, you, I mean you memorized the Old Testament. You, you can drive a nail through the scroll, and you can tell me what word on every page, 
every flap, really, that that nail goes through. You can tell me what that word is, but you've never heard the voice of my Father. I mean, that's a bad place to be, to receive written revelation from God, to read it, but not hear what God is saying. And I think it's a reminder to you and me, we're no different than the religious scholars in Jesus' day to the Jews in the synagogue in Thessalonica. You and I can read our Bible and we cannot sometimes hear what God is saying to us. We can be deceived. We can be led astray. We are gullible people. So th- I really think this, this really, that's that we got to encourage each other keeping our eyes open to what is God saying and not becoming entrenched in what we think the Bible says. Another is our primary allegiance, our primary allegiance has to be Jesus. He's the the one and the only king. There, There is no authority higher than Jesus. And I've got to ask, our, you know, who, who is vying for our allegiance? And are we aware that there are other people, there's other movements, there's other pressures, there's other temptations, there's, there's other things vying for our allegiance. So who are we most allegiant to? It, it's got to be Jesus. And again, we've got to be a community that keeps reminding ourselves of that. If we don't, we'll lose it. I mean, did you, I mean, did you catch what, what the opposing forces were saying as Paul was delivering this message? Messiah, Messiah, pledge allegiance to Messiah, Jesus, Jesus is Messiah. People are mad. It's a crowd yelling. And they, they go to the official. The, the, these people, they're turning our world upside down, one translation says. These, they're disturbing us. They're disturbing the Roman Empire because of their allegiance to Jesus. So I've got to ask you, how does our allegiance to Jesus, our King, disturb today's empires? And there's, there's something behind that question. Probably a couple things, maybe even more. From my observation, we're not disturbing anybody. We're not a threat to anything, in a good way, a good threat. We're safe in our little buildings. We got our schools going. We're intact, but we're not engaged. We're just not engaging with a world so that the threat of our allegiance to Jesus really does threaten the world. You see, the way I read it right now, when I read, I, I think we, we feel more disturbed by the world around us than the world around us feels disturbed by us. And I don't think that should be the way it is. I don't, that's not the way it is here. So 
So when we pledge allegiance to Jesus, he's, he is truly the one that we have pledged our foremost allegiance to. It begins to disturb our family empires. I, 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 I have had that experience. And I'm, I want to just remind you, when I, when I came home to my family empire that was very dysfunctional and alcohol was king and it was wreaking havoc to my family and I told my mom and dad I decided to follow Jesus, their face turned ashen and it disturbed the family empire. And my family empire never, never recovered from that and Jesus has won my whole family. But it happens with education too. Our, our, you see, it, oh, it grieves me. I mean, I, I, yeah, I understand. I respect your decision as a parent. Place your kids where you think they ought to. But because in general, all of us left the public schools, no one's disturbing that educational empire anymore. Those of you that are in state universities, God bless you. Disturb that educational empire. Business. I mean, there's, there's an empire that is working pretty good for a few right now. And most of us have kind of been swept into this, well, it's really great when some of us really do well and the rest of us don't. That's really good because maybe someday I'll get there. Are you listening to yourself? People on the top deserve to make more. I believe in that. I believe in that. I do. They have more responsibility. But when they make disproportionately this much more than you and I as common workers, that ain't right. But, but do we disturb that? No. We don't disturb that. The religious empires, are they disturbed at all? I hate to confess publicly, but I don't like hanging out with, with pastors much. Because what pastors are creating, I don't see in the Bible very much. And it disturbs me. I don't like seeing pastors that manipulate people into doing what they want them to do and building their empire rather than what does God want to do through his people. I would give you a story, but it's, I can't. I'm going to stop right there because I'll keep rolling on. I'm disturbed. The political empire. My friends, are, we, we ought to be involved as good citizens in our nation, but we should be informing political parties, political parties ought not to be informing us. We should disturb political parties so that they are in line with the kingdom of God, not that we get in line with somebody's party's party politics. That's not the way it's supposed to work. Churches are not supposed to be democratic or republican or green or whatever. I never ever want to have the experience again like I did with a 95-year-old that walked in our door one day and said, I can't go back to my local church. What are you talking about? Well, my local church has become a party church of XYZ party, and I can't go back there because I've been, I've been, they, they're the X and I've been the Y party all my life. What? 
How did that empire get embedded into? What? National empires. Hello? Nationalism is not good. Nationalism has never served humanity well. I'm grateful for where I live. I'm grateful for the heritage I have. But there's nothing better on the planet than the kingdom of God. And the form of representative, the representative republic that we have, great. That's a great form of government, but it's not the kingdom of God. Are you, are you following me? Are we disturbing the empires? Out of our allegiance to Jesus. It's just that. My primary allegiance is to Jesus. Jesus is my king above any other king. Jesus, I'm indebted to Jesus because through Jesus my sin is forgiven. I celebrate Jesus' death because there's a resurrection and I'm alive and I'll be, I will be continually alive. Jesus, his death, his resurrection. That's what threatens the empires. So would you like to stand with me? And in standing with me, maybe we can like pledge allegiance once again to the one who's meant to be the first and the foremost, the only one. I would like to invite the Holy Spirit uh, to do only what he can do, and that is to kind of lift the blinders out of our eyes and off our eyes and out of our hearts. Because some of us may be pledging allegiance to other things and not even be aware of it. Okay, so is it fair if we invite the Holy Spirit to show us what's in our heart, show us what we're, we're really allegiant to? Okay, let's start there. Holy Spirit, we do invite you to help us to see because you do see. You know where our mind is. You know where our heart is. You know where our allegiances lie. And sometimes we don't. We, we can get deceived. We're, again, I guess go back to we're so easily deceived. And so before we pledge allegiance once again to Jesus as the first and the foremost, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords, would you please show us where we've been led astray? Would you please open up our eyes, reveal what's in our thoughts, reveal what's in our heart? Where do our allegiances lie?
I want to invite you just quietly where you are. If, if, you're, if you are sensing or seeing or there's a word about where your, your, just your allegiance is right now and you need to say, God, I'm so sorry. I've allowed X, Y, or Z to get into the wrong place. You, you may want to do that right now. So just take a moment to do that.